It's the story of an American held in a dark Venezuelan prison. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. I'm Becky Bruce. I spent a year working on Hope in Darkness, which now has more than 2 million downloads. Find it on kslpodcast.com or wherever you listen to podcasts. Utah's best athletes count on flexibility, speed, strength. And the Jazz pick up their 22nd assist. So they count on University of Utah Health. Brielle Soleil puts this game away. And so can you. Leading doctors, a world-class environment, award-winning innovation, care to be great. 14 unanswered by the Utes. University of Utah Health, caring for Utah's best and yours. Schedule your appointment now at uofuhealth.org slash care to be great. What's up, everybody? Welcome in to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. I'm Jay Catch, and across from me digitally today is, of course, our co-host here on the show, Michelle Bodkin. Hi, Michelle. Hey, Jake. So good to have you back. I know. You did a great job last week, by the way, filling in. I, I just got to say that. Oh, I appreciate that. I, You know what? I need. I still need some work doing the solo thing. It's much harder than it looks. Uh, I will tell you that kind of trying to talk to yourself for a couple well, of hours okay. but and here's the thing uh, i got it. i've been in radio for over a decade at this point and Corey's also got some background who's producing for us today and i think he could agree with this doing a solo show is maybe the hardest thing to do in radio because you're right you are essentially talking to yourself you in many ways you have to and you, i think you can understand this michelle you have to envision you're you're kind of looking at people when you do it but it's it, it's really really hard it's a skill you have to develop yeah absolutely and i'm not quite there yet i can admit that <laughs> so it's really <laughs> nice to have you back uh, and have someone to bounce off of a little bit Absolutely. Uh, so we got a lot to cover on today's show. We're going to talk some NBA playoffs. We're going to talk RSL. We've got some NFL news out there. Um, one of the worst owners in sports is finally out of the NFL. We'll talk about all that. Uh, we're also going to talk some transfer portal here in a minute. But as we usually do to start each show here on the Saturday show, Michelle, what was the highlight of your week? Oh, it had to be last night uh, doing Utah football's women's clinic. I was, gonna, I, I was guessing because I was going to ask you about this. How did it go? It was a lot of fun. I'm really glad that they brought that back, uh, and it sounds like they have plans of maybe moving it around a little bit so that more more of the players are around and available to do it. Uh, for those that don't remember, I think I think the last one they did was probably the year before, maybe the year that they entered the Pac-12, and then it's it's kind of been on a hiatus. But they used to do it actually in the fall in season, and uh, I mean. When you kind of think about that timeline, it makes sense why it went away. They just had bigger things to kind of worry about. But I think now that the program's in a stable place and it's in its new conference, uh-huh. haha, funny because it's been like over a decade. Uh, you know, hey, in the relative scheme, it's it's pretty new. It's pretty real. new. It's yeah. still pretty new. Uh, and who knows? I mean, who knows if it's it's going to stay that way? I've. <laughs> Hey, you want to talk about that again this week? <laughs> oh, man, no. Uh, but but I think it's the perfect time for them, you know, sure. to bring something like that back. Uh, I talked to a couple of people about, you know, what what does this do for you as you're kind of in a place where you're building your brand or continuing to build your brand? Um, and some just interesting conversations around that. It was also just kind of fun and nice to be able to hang out with the players and some of the coaches in a less formal way. And we've talked about this before. Just kind of let them know that, like, we're normal people, too, and we can be funny and goofy. And then, of course, being able to talk to some of the women on staff because they're not always necessarily kind of around and available. And so it's just kind of nice uh, to have that FaceTime with them and and whatnot because, obviously, even though not working in the building, we're in very similar situations kind of being in this world and, and being one of a few. So uh, I hope I hope this continues to grow. I hope more people want to do it. And I don't know if BYU and like Utah State are listening, but like I hope to see you guys start doing this too. And if you need female reporters to come and, and cover that, I am happy to come. 
<laughs> I don't yeah. care that Utah's my beat. Like, I'll come and cover this other stuff because I think it's important. Absolutely. Well, I, I've only got one complaint about the video I saw of the, of the event, Michelle. And the only the only thing I have to complain about is there was a severe lack of Michelle Bodkin on camera. That's all I've got to say. I, I'm working on <laughs> I'm working on a reel, uh, okay. but I I did not get. You know what? It's kind of hard to try and get sure, <laughs> video get of you it. doing yeah. drills yeah. when you're supposed to be doing drills. So. <laughs> we, well, okay. I think I think we have a solution. We just got to get like somebody like who or, or, or one of our, our news photographers to go with you next time. How about that? I know. Yeah. We tried this go around and it didn't work. So it was a little bit of a solo dolo effort. Uh-huh. Uh, and thankfully, you know, some of the women around were kind enough to hold my phone and take some video for me. But, awesome. um, you know, it's a, a learning curve. We'll just say in covering this event, so well, I could understand that. Uh, Corey, uh, who's producing for us, he's been behind the glass today. What was the highlight of your week, sir? Kevin Durant got eliminated from the playoffs, <laughs> so that was petty. amazing. That is so petty. <laughs> I grew up in Oklahoma City, so since say, the I, Thunder have moved yeah. to Oklahoma City, I have been a Thunder fan. Okay. And the way he spurned and chased down the ring by going to Golden State, he is persona non grata in Oklahoma City, and I can't root against anyone more than I root against Kevin Durant and him chasing around and trying to build super teams. And when he gets knocked out, it just, it, it warms my heart. I, I can understand that. Absolutely. Uh, yeah. So they did lose. We'll talk some about the NBA playoffs. Highlight of my week real quick is actually, it involves work. It was just, it was a really fun time. It was a busy week this week, honestly. I, I did four uh, straight days of producing DJ and PK, but also hosting Unrivaled in the afternoons. But I always love uh, being with Scott and the guys on Unrivaled. So uh, busy week, but it was really fun. We got a great time on Unrivaled. So big thanks to them for allowing me to sit in. It's always fun to have that challenge of, Doing a little bit more than what you normally do. Oh, yeah. And then you're really glad when it's over, too. <laughs> well, sure, yeah. I, I, that's the thing. It's it's now in the past, so it's actually a lot better right now than it was at the, kind of – so I, I did Tuesday through Friday uh, doing kind of the double day there. I got – I Thursday – I remember waking up vividly on Thursday. I'm like, what day is it? <laughs> like one yeah. of those things. Yep, so. yep, yep. But, oh, yeah. When you work in sports, you know what this is. <laughs> yeah. It, it, it's a bit of a grind, but it's all it's fun all the same. It's it's one of my it's what I've always wanted to do, so it was just a great time. So uh, obviously, I think it's not like everybody had a good week, and I hope all of you out there had a good week. I probably should have implemented this earlier in the show, Michelle. We've been doing this together for a year now. If people have highlights of the week on social media, send them to us. We'd love to give you guys a shout-out as well. So. Yeah, no, I think that's great. Let's spread some positivity. Let's go. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, you can reach out to us, Bodkin KSL Sports, where you can find Michelle. I'm at Jacob C. Hatch. Corey, is it Corey K- Corey KSL, correct? Correct. And then uh, you also can send it to the show feed. Uh, our, our, our show feed, our zone feed, uh, KSL Sports Zone on Twitter as well. Uh, reach out. We'll give you guys a little bit of a shout-out throughout today's show. So uh, I want to talk uh, today. We'll talk about the NBA playoffs here in our next segment. But I actually want to start off with the NCAA transfer portal today. So that's where we'll start. Let's get to what's the big deal. Do you know who I am? No, I, I can't say that I do. I don't know how to put this, but kind of a big deal really people know me i'm very happy for you i'm very important uh i have many leather-bound books and my apartment smells of rich mahogany All right, Michelle, so the NCAA transfer portal, the window is closed. Uh, let's be very clear about that. So players, uh, unless you are a grad transfer, you can no longer enter the portal. But all the players who are in the portal are still eligible to be uh, picked up along the way. Uh, and that means both BYU and Utah this week in particular both benefited from that. Uh, let's start off on your end, Michelle, with regards to the Utes. Uh, a couple of pickups via the portal. Uh, Landon King was one that I saw pretty celebrated pretty highly a tight end coming in from from the University of Auburn or Auburn University I should say whatever but what what can you tell us about him in particular well I think what Utah liked the most about him and why there's so much excitement around him is he he trajects and he looks an awful lot like Dalton Kincaid Got it. Um, kind of same body type kind of same game uh he needs to put on a little bit of weight. I think about 20 pounds is 
what they're going to want to to put on his bones. And I, I think there's some hope that before the season starts that they can get him up 10 pounds. Okay. Um, but uh, but they just they they like his ability to kind of be a traditional non traditional tight end like Dalton was and I you know I think that's something that potentially was going to be missing a little bit this year I I like what Thomas Yasmin does I you know I like what Brant Keithy does but maybe in terms of having a little bit more of that blocking ability as well I I don't know that. They're quite on the same level as Dalton in that regard. Um, so getting getting a guy like Landon King's a huge deal in that regard. He has a couple of years to play, so it's not like, um, I believe, two or three. I would have to go back and look at that. But he, ha- he has some time. So he's get- he has the potential to be with Utah uh, for a while and develop and, and turn into a kind of very much what Dalton was if, if he follows, you know, the formula which I, I, I'm going to assume he, he's planning on it since he committed sure. and, and saw, you know, kind of where where Kincaid is at now. Uh, so I, I think that's the big reason for the celebration. And then, of course, you know, you have a guy that spent some time in the SEC and, and to get him to come out west and, and play some ball for you. I think that's something that, you know, Utah is going to want to continue to try and, and do is get some of these high level kids that started out in the SEC and and some of the other blue blood programs like Michigan and and Ohio State uh and it maybe didn't necessarily work out for them there and and bring them on over. Now, uh, so that brings me to my kind of the next question I had for you on this. We'll talk about BYU here in a moment, but uh they also added another offensive player in Micah Pittman as well. And Pittman to me, I've been tracking him it feels like forever, but mm-hmm. this is his third school. Uh he is not uh, similar to Landon, Landon King. Not necessarily a ton of production at the collegiate level, but you look at a guy like that and you're like, this dude should be able to contribute. And in my opinion, Micah Pittman's maybe going into a position where he could potentially start day one for Utah. Yeah, it's. Uh, I, I think the one concern was he has had hip surgery recently. Uh, okay. And he uh, went on record this week uh, on the other radio station here in town uh-huh. uh, and, and kind of said he expects to be ready to go by game one. So it sounds like he's on a good trajectory. Um, everybody's kind of on board. He's taking his uh, physical therapy really seriously because he's motivated and he wants, you know, he wants this last season to really showcase what he can do. Obviously, I, I think a lot of us are solid college football fans. If the name sounds kind of familiar, he is the younger brother of Michael Pittman Jr., mm-hmm. who's the standout wide receiver at USC and now plays for uh, the Indianapolis Colts. So, you know, the bloodline's good. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and uh, I think, you know, Micah's a guy that's going to come in for Utah and, and fill a need, an immediate need. Uh, as you said, not a ton of production, but the production that he has had has been really good. And it's, it kind of fills some holes that Utah has been lacking in their, in their passing game on the wide receiver side. So I think that's an exciting development for Utah. I don't think they are quite done on the wide receiver side. So we're, we're kind of still watching and monitoring that situation. Yeah, well, I, I, I can tell you right now, BYU is not done on the wide receiver side themselves. I think both programs very much still looking for receiver help. Uh, one other one on Utah's side of things, uh, Britton Allen, I think this one came in, was this yesterday, Michelle, uh, transfer from USC coming in. And safety is a position that I've been kind of looking at Utah saying, okay, you lost Clayton Isbell, who I thought was going to get some playing time uh, this year. So a guy like Britton Allen, he's factoring, I think, to come in and uh, contribute right away as well. Yeah, uh, safety was kind of one of those, they didn't necessarily need to get a safety, but it was like a a nice want if they found the right guy. And I think they found the right guy in Allen. Uh, This is a guy, uh, my good friend Steve Bartle at 247 Sports kind of scouted him out, was looking at him and has made some comparisons to Marquise Blair. And if anybody remembers Marquise Blair, uh, he... He was famously called a heat-seeking missile by the late great John Pease, and okay. and so it, I, I think that should be exciting to Utah fans because obviously Blair provided just some really nasty, tough 
football in the backfield. And and I think that's been missing a little bit for Utah on the defensive side. Uh, that, that really, really kind of down and dirty, just gritty backfield play in the secondary. And so the thought of having someone like Allen come in and fill that role and that need – I, I think is exciting, and I think it adds another dimension to this defense that, as we're kind of hearing at least early on, sounds like they're going to be really, really good. Now, the, the one other thing on the Utah front is all three of these guys, if I'm not mistaken, and you can correct me if I'm wrong here, all three of them have at least two seasons of eligibility remaining. Is that correct? All three we've just discussed. I, I'm positive that King and Allen do. I would have uh-huh. to check on Pittman. I, okay. I think Pittman only has one final year, but maybe he has a COVID year too. Got it. Okay. Well, and see, that's the thing about this, Michelle, and I, I'll get you, I want to get your, your take on this. My opinion on the transfer portal is if you're going to rely on one-year rentals, as I call them, or <laughs> hired guns, you're probably doing it the wrong way. If you're going to use the portal, and I think both BYU and Utah plan on using this uh, moving forward, absolutely, to supplement their, kind of the roster building, I'd be looking more for guys in the, in the mold, if you say, of Landon King, Britton Allen, where they've got at least one, two, maybe three, four years to contribute to your program, where they can build with you. You're not bringing them in for five, six months, and then they're out. That you, you, I think you need to have guys who can kind of grow with your program, at, at least uh, over a second year, I, I would imagine. I think for the most part, I think for a team like Utah that's maybe a little more established, um, you know, it's okay to, to roll the dice on a guy that's only going to be here for a year or two if you really think that they're going to help fill a need, an immediate need, mm-hmm. um, which is where I think Pittman fits great uh, if, if he's only here for a year. Uh, a team like BYU, where they're still kind of in the building process and they're trying to get depth going uh, to make this move to the P5, I can absolutely understand why you would be a little more picky and maybe try and find guys that have a couple of years of eligibility uh, because, yeah, I, I don't think that would get BYU where they want to go um, if you're constantly bringing in guys for a year and then having to do it all over again. You know, um, they're not in a place where they kind of have a solid core yet. Um, they're in the process of building that for the P5 level. Um, so, you're yeah, you're going to want some guys that I think you're going to be actively or more actively looking for guys that can stay and develop with you and help grow that depth um, so that you're not constantly cycling over every year. Yeah, so this week, uh, BYU's additions, I guess I'd count three of them officially. Uh, Jake Eichhorn, a transfer from Weber State, obviously following Jay Hill to Provo. Uh, I can I can insert this. I had a conversation with somebody who knows Eichhorn really well. Uh, what they told me is that, they believe he is going to go to BYU and potentially start as soon as as soon as this season. They think he is that talented of an offensive lineman. He's a former two A state player of the year here in the state of Utah, playing down there at Beaver High. Uh, so he's a two A uh, guy, but really has developed nicely. And like this person who I. They've got far more football knowledge than I do, Michelle. They told me that even though BYU is added, they've added I would I would say four guys on that offensive front for BYU. Probably factor in it on the interior of the offensive line. The person I talked to said the Icorn he thinks may be the best of the bunch, and that includes two guys who transferred from FBS institutions. This is an FCS kid that they really think could uh, be a real big piece for the Cougars. Well, and that's that's what BYU needs to do, right? They're they're in this position where. You know they're they're probably not going to reel in the types of guys that Utah's reeling in right now, and that's just because like you have to prove yourself, right? And sure. Utah Utah was in that position several years ago, um, and did very much the same thing. I was actually thinking about this the other day. You find high level, you know, guys that are playing at Weber State that maybe fell through the cla- cracks. You find high level guys that are playing at Utah State and mm-hmm. maybe kind of fell through the cracks. You show that you can develop them, turn them into, you know, not only top tier college players that kind of has everybody scratching their heads and going, how did we miss this guy? Uh, but also, you know, NFL level talent. Once you start doing that, you're going to start having the ears of some of these bigger guys that maybe you don't have to spend as much time developing. And so I think this is a great move for BYU. Um, we'll, we'll obviously have to kind of wait and see if the evaluation plays out. I, tr- sure. I trust that it will because they're, these guys are coming from a team that knows how to do that. So they know how to do those evaluations. Um so I, I trust that, like, if they think this guy's good, he's probably really dang good. Um, and so the key is just going to be, 
develop him. Show, you know, show that you can come to BYU, develop, play in a P5 conference, uh, win a lot, graduate, go on to the NFL. And, you know, we'll see how that kind of starts opening things up for the Cougs. But great first start. Yeah, so they also added Darius Lassiter from Eastern Michigan this week, a wide receiver. Uh, Michelle, he is one wide receiver. BYU had another kid on campus earlier this week, Chase Sowell, I believe is his name, from the University of Colorado, one of the many players who have exited the Buffalo's football program this offseason. BYU, in most respects, based on what I was hearing, was very confident in their ability to maybe land him, make it a second wide receiver this week. Well, he opted for East Carolina yesterday, so uh, BYU is going to be looking at all options in the wide receiving core by my last count, and I haven't uh, counted this week, I think BYU, and I, I want to—I don't know if you how much intel you have on this on the Utah front. My count is that BYU has offered ten different wide receivers in the transfer portal this spring. They are looking high and low for any and all receiver options. I honestly couldn't tell you how many people Utah's been interested in because they've kept it very, very low key. <laughs> okay. And Utah had had one get away from them too. Uh, Tyler Harrell. Her- uh, oh yes, that, yeah, okay. That was at. Alabama apparently was all good to go um, with Utah and then yesterday committed to Miami uh, out of nowhere. So, I mean, you know, these things happen, but Utah's keeping it a little bit quieter from my knowledge and understanding because they are kind of going after some of these bigger players. And I, I think, you know, to try and keep down on the NIL competition and some of that kind of stuff or having other teams do a, well, wait a minute, why why are you asking this person or talking to this person? Maybe we should talk to this person. Uh, I, I think they're trying to keep it a little more low key. So I'm not entirely sure how many people they've actually talked to and reached out to, but yeah, well, I, that's a, that's, I know they're making yeah. an active effort. Well, and that's the thing about this is you're not trying to tip off the competition either because both BYU and Utah, and we've talked about this on this show before, Michelle, when either the Utes or the Cougars offer a prospect, inevitably, somebody that's like, we're talking like a USC in Oregon, they're like, okay, if BYU or Utah checks this kid off their list, essentially, they've got something, we're offering this kid too. It's almost like it's like almost a reflexive effort. So I can understand why, and I know BYU's tried to keep it a little low key as well, but uh, Players are wanting to go out on social media and reveal who they've been offered by, but I can understand why Utah and BYU be like, you know what, we're going to try and keep this a little quieter. Yeah. Uh, uh, on the Utah side of things, we call it ninja recruiting. Yeah. I, I don't oh, yeah. know if BYU no. does it, the same thing, it's, but yes. it's it's more or less the same thing. And as you mentioned, for good reason. Uh, you know, I think Utah and BYU are great places to go play, but in terms of, you know, the NIL world and, and some of that kind of stuff, which is kind of where things are heading and and is what kind of matters to these kids a lot of the time. Uh, you know, they're neither one are there yet. And yeah. and so uh you, I think you do have to be a little more low key, a little more sneaky. Um and, and also be very very selective about the guys that you spend time trying to bring into your program too. If if the kids really all about that and only that, you know, I think BYU and Utah are probably wasting their time. Uh, and, and to be honest, I don't think guys like that are going to be great culture fits here. Well, uh, yeah, I, I, I completely agree with you on that, Michelle. If a guy's there simply just for the for the quote-unquote paycheck, yeah, that's that's not necessarily who you want around. But if you want to develop and, and get better and have a shot at the NFL, which is kind of really, truly, honestly where the real money is uh, – but you also want to make a little coin on the side, you know, have a side hustle, whatever, uh, then you know what? The, I, I think Utah, BYU, Utah State, you know, some of, some of our local schools here are a great choice for you. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, last one I want to discuss, just this coming yesterday, and this was a kind of a surprise out of nowhere one for BYU. Dion Smith uh, commits to BYU. So they miss out on one uh, Colorado player uh, in Seoul who'd committed to East Carolina, but Dion Smith, a running back, the leading running back yardage-wise for Colorado this past season, announcing he's going to come to BYU. Ran for 393 yards last year, two touchdowns. Uh, was coming off a knee injury in 2021, Michelle, but had a really, really nice game against Arizona State last year, maybe his best game. 111 yards and a touchdown in that one for the Buffaloes. Uh, I didn't expect BYU necessarily to be looking for another running back in the in their uh, position group because they had brought in Aiden Robbins uh, from UNLV, who was 1,000 yards last year. But 
I, I think it goes back to what you said a little earlier on in the segment, Michelle. BYU's in a building process, and they understand, you know what we need? We need dudes. We need bodies. We need guys who can play at the level we're going into at the Power 5 level. And that's what Deion Smith means to me. He's a guy who has played at the Power 5 level, has had some production, maybe not as much as he would have liked or what BYU maybe envisions for him, but at the bare minimum, he brings that experience and that depth to BYU's running back core. You know, a, a couple of things on that. Uh, when I sit and I I think about how Utah went about building their roster when they were in BYU's position, I you know they kind of went with what was tried and true and what they knew, uh-huh. running backs, line play, um, you know kind of kind of doing the trench stuff, linebackers a little bit. Although there was a period where that was a little thin for them, but it's when you kind of look at what built up first for Utah. Uh-huh. It, it was some of some of these more like dirty work <laughs> areas, um, and and now they've kind of gone into more of the finesse type stuff. And I think BYU's kind of doing the same. Uh, yeah, you might you might see BYU. I don't know, maybe with more running backs than you think that they necessarily need. But at this point in time, you're kind of in a place where you try and find the best available people, and you just bring them on. And some of these guys, it'll be interesting to watch, you know, if Kalani and company don't project them someplace else. You bring in the best available talent, regardless of position, and then see if you can't maybe work them into something else to fill a need and build some depth. Well, sure, and that, that's the thing about this. This is going to be a proving process for BYU. They're, this is their first year at the Power 5 level. Uh, Utah went through this, uh, what would it be now, 13 seasons ago coming up? It would be 12 seasons, I guess, technically. Oof. But they, they, you mentioned they went through a building process, and they kind of relied on, you just mentioned, on what they know. Well, guess what? The, the funny thing about this is BYU's uh, top brain trust, how we, that, what, I say, what, I, what I say, what I mean when I say that, is Kalani Satake, Jay Hill, and Aaron Roderick. Guess what? All three of them went through the transition with Utah. Mm-hmm. They are relying on what they know and trying to, I guess, in a way, jumpstart it for BYU. But they have a pretty good baseline knowledge of, okay, this is how you go about building things. Absolutely. Uh, and, and again, it's, I, I'm so excited, curious to see you know how this works, how the process goes for them. Having that bit of a jump start in some regards, obviously, again, we've talked about it's different conference, different uh-huh. program. All of those things come with different different problems and things that will pop up um, that you don't you don't necessarily see coming. Add in some of the NIL stuff and and the <laughs> the conference realignment stuff and the media deal stuff and you know it, it is a different time and and who know who knows what's going to happen with all this when it's all said and done. But it is very interesting to see a school go into this process having a little bit of knowledge as to what it takes to take a G5 G5 or not P5 school mm-hmm. and transform it into a Power 5 football yep. program. And I, I assume both BYU and Utah will continue to uh, scour the transfer portal and find all options they can find as they bolster the rosters. Uh, but the be- best part is, Michelle, we're getting closer and closer to football being back. And that's one thing both you and I can both agree on. We're just excited to have football on its way back. I am very excited, yeah. <laughs> All right, uh, coming up next, we're going to talk a little basketball. we got to flip over and talk some NBA. The Western Conference Finals are set. The Eastern Conference Final has at least one team in it. Uh, we'll talk about what all went down and why the Lakers maybe are the favorite. We'll talk about all that next right here on the Saturday Show on 97.5 FM. The K- Two friends taking pictures of the rising full moon on a summer night. Two teenage kids doing what teenage kids do. When a stranger with a gun and a death wish changed everything. It was violent, it was senseless, and I will never understand it, I will never accept it. I'm Amy Donaldson, and unfortunately, we're all too familiar with stories about how violence shatters lives. But what we rarely see is how they are rebuilt. In a new podcast, The Letter, we relive tragedy, but only so we can hear the rest of the story. The struggle to reclaim lives, the realities of grief, and the possibilities of forgiveness. I believe in miracles. Sometimes I thought, there are no miracles. Yeah, there are, and this is a big one. Follow the letter at theletterpodcast.com or wherever you get your podcasts. It's all sports zone.
Welcome back to the Saturday Show, everybody. Hope you're doing well on this Saturday morning, wherever you're tuning in from. Michelle Bodkin, Jay Catch along for the ride. Corey Anderson behind the glass producing for us this morning. Uh, all right, Michelle, let's talk a little bit about the NBA playoffs. But real quick, uh, something I, meant, I, I wanted to mention. Uh, do you know that we have a championship game going on today in football? Yes, for the XFL. The XFL championship game. And the state of Utah has some representatives in there. Are these guys from uh, local, uh, local, I guess, origin, I, I could say. Uh, Francis Bernard, if I'm not mistaken, playing for the D.C. Defenders. And former BYU defense alignment Tomasi Laulile is playing for the Arlington Renegades in that championship game. We love this. Uh, I, I don't know so much about the BYU guy. I haven't heard or seen his name pop up, and, and that's not... That doesn't necessarily mean anything. Uh, I, Kyle doesn't necessarily notify me about, you know, what BYU's <laughs> guys do. But Francis Bernard, uh, I, Kyle's hit me up a couple of times about, hey, here's this tweet about <laughs> about what Francis has done in the XFL. So, I, you know, exciting. Good luck to our local guys in the XFL. Um, and, yeah, I guess we'll be talking about one of them being XFL champions here in a minute. Well, the thing about this is that the, the, just the of the funny thing for Tomasi Laulile, he's played in uh, both of the last two iterations of the XFL. If you remember the one that got shut down due to the pandemic, as, mm-hmm. well, as well as this one, has played in the USFL. He has got like a pension. He did this this past season as well as the season before this. He had a pick six in both seasons as a defensive lineman, like a defensive tackle. It's kind of funny. He's got. Got some nice hands, apparently. Yeah, that's a little unusual. The big guys uh, don't <laughs> don't normally get their paws on the ball quite like that. Yep. But I, you know what? I I love a big man pick six. So here we go. Absolutely. All right. As mentioned, the NBA playoffs roll on. We have the Western Conference Finals set, Michelle. And uh, so the Los Angeles Lakers knocked out the Golden State Warriors last night. Um, the thing about this this game. L.A. was not going to be denied. I don't know how much of this you were able to watch. I know you are out of the Utah women's uh, football clinic. But the Lakers jumped out to a big lead early. Uh, Golden State fought back. But it just it felt like LeBron and company, Anthony Davis, et cetera, they were not going to be denied. They, they were like, you know what? We're not, we're not messing around. We're winning this thing. Uh, all I know about this is the Corgi prediction. So apparently sure. the Corgi was a little off. <laughs> yeah, well, did, did, I don't know. Did you, see, did you see the person who went and remixed it uh, with that, that that last ball from the Corgi hitting the basketball? And it shows LeBron, like, stealing it out of the air and dunking it into the basket for the Lakers. It was actually really, really funny. Oh, I haven't seen that. I'm going to have to go find that. <laughs> It's pretty good. It was like it's like it's like no, you're wrong here. We're gonna and so it's just, yeah. So the Lakers punched their ticket. Now they're gonna face the Dallas Mavericks. Who uh, not the D- Dallas Mavericks? Holy smokes! The Denver Nuggets <laughs> in uh, the Western Conference Finals. Uh, that'll start on Tuesday. Uh, Denver uh, advanced as well. Now uh, the reason I mentioned that in the tease before uh, we went to break, Michelle, why I think the Lakers uh, may be on their way. Do you know what the history of the Denver Nuggets versus Los Angeles Lakers in the NBA playoffs is? Like in terms of the overall series records? Uh, I couldn't tell you, uh, but I'm going to guess it's not great if we're bringing it up. <laughs> so I learned this literally like two minutes before we went on there. I, I retweeted this. Nick Cosmider, who covers the Nuggets uh, for The Athletic, uh, he said that this will be the eighth time the Lakers and the Nuggets have matched up in the playoffs in NBA history. Fourth time, if, if, I think is what, if I recall what his tweet said, fourth time it's happened in the conference finals. Michelle, uh, Denver's history against the Lakers is a big, fat goose egg. Ooh. They're 0-7 previous to this series upcoming. I mean, at some point the record gets broken, right? But so. uh, but when <laughs> when it's continued on for a long enough time, it is kind of hard to go against what's kind of always worked or, or played into the favor of the series. Um, <laughs> so this is going to be interesting. Yeah, I, I I think first glance you you do kind of sit and go, ooh. It's probably not great for Denver, but I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this is the year that they get ticked off enough and, and break through. I don't know. <laughs> well, the thing about Denver all season long, we have we have this discussion on DJ and PK as well as Unrivaled yesterday, is that Denver all season long has kind of been just kind of, okay, they're good because they were the number one seed coming into the playoffs. The Lakers, to their credit, they rallied from a 2-10 and ten start this season. They were below five hundred at the trade deadline. Uh, they made it as a seven seed and obviously made it to the Western Conference Finals. But the 
the Nuggets in their case uh, is that they are a team that all season long, and I'll include myself in this, were kind of looked at and said, okay, how good are they really? Can they can they really get over the hump when it really matters? And they absolutely demolished. Uh, Corey was very happy about this with uh, Kevin Durant getting knocked out uh, by the the Phoenix Suns getting knocked out by the Denver Nuggets. But it feels like to me that we continue to look at Denver and say, okay, how good are you really? When we probably should be saying, no, how good is L.A. really? Are they going to be able to really knock out Denver here? Isn't that interesting how I somehow – we maybe sometimes ask the wrong questions sure. when it comes to these teams. Uh, that's very fascinating. Uh, and, and yeah, I mean, so I, oftentimes it feels like when you're continuing to doubt a team, that's when that team goes ahead and breaks through. Uh, you, again, kind of pulling in like more my knowledge source, you think about that 2008 Utah football team and it felt like all season long that, that was kind of the the narrative. Well, how good is this team really? Because sure. there were a couple of like really like clinch your butt cheeks, just super close games, uh-huh. um, and against teams that probably like it, it shouldn't have been close. Uh, but and then you get get them in front of Alabama, and it's like, oh come on, like they're how good is this team? They're not really going to beat Alabama, are they? And they ended up smoking them. So I I don't know. Are the Denver Nuggets like? The 2008 Utah Utes this year for for the NBA, I, I, it it brings a very fascinating question to my mind. If we are still questioning and doubting this team this far into the process, I don't know. Yeah, maybe maybe we're we're just fueling them to to make that move, make that breakthrough, and it should be a fascinating series. Yeah, and the other thing about this is is Denver. They've got the, they had the two time defending uh, NBA MVP and Nikola Jokic coming in here. He has been nothing if not spectacular. I'll get, I'll throw some other history at you, Michelle. Uh, in NBA history, there have been now three players in an NBA playoff series to average a triple double. LeBron James is one of them. Russell Westbrook the other. Nikola Jokic just did it uh, for the Denver Nuggets. Uh, the thing about this, why I bring this up is because the other two, speaking of LeBron and Russell Westbrook, when they averaged a triple-double in those playoff series that they did, I don't remember which series they were in, they both lost those series. Huh. In this case, this is the first time a guy's averaged a triple-double, speaking of Nikola Jokic, and actually moved on. Hmm. So uh, what you're telling me <laughs> is the trend is already like shifting for the Nuggets because something, some something yeah. didn't fall the way that it usually does. Yeah, well, and that's the thing about this is you look at the LeBron and Russell Westbrook. These are some of the teams they were they played on in their in their careers. They have at points LeBron, most notably in his first stint in Cleveland, he was a man who had like bits and pieces around him, and he just kind of dragged them himself. Russell Westbrook did that in certain circumstances as well. But in the case of a guy like Nikola Jokic, he's like this maestro composing a symphony out there on the court. And it's just fun to watch him do his thing because he doesn't look like your your typical superstar, Michelle. He's not a high-flying dunker. He, his body looks a little doughy at times. He's just he, – I'm, I'm serious about this. this no, is, no. I'm, <laughs> I'm laughing because I like it. Yeah, yeah but, but the thing is, he's just so good at what he does. He sees the court so well. He can shoot from three. He's He does everything well. His defense leaves a little something to be desired, but any star offensive player in the NBA who doesn't really leave something to be desired feels like on the defensive end of the court. But what he has around him, though, is guys like Aaron Gordon, who is that high-flying superstar who can throw down dunks. He's got Jamal Murray, who missed 18 months due to that ACL tear, but is now back to doing what he was doing before he tore up his knee. The nice part is it looks like Denver has got far more pieces and far more weapons surrounding a, a legit superstar in Nikola Jokic than, like I said, maybe some of the past iterations of a team like LeBron had, etc. That's interesting that their, their quote-unquote superstar is really a superstar more because of his smarts than his athletic prowess. Sure, and that, yeah. that it's more about the pieces around him and him being able to see the court and understand the flow of the game and get the ball to those pieces that actually are more of the athletic freaks on the that that presents a very interesting I think narrative in this series. Uh, I, I I like that that that's very interesting to me. And you're right, that's very atypical. Uh, usually the superstar is also like 
the king athlete on the team as well. And it's sounding like this is not the case for Denver. Well, and that's the thing about it. He's going to go up against Anthony Davis. And by the way, I said this in the first round of the playoffs. If Anthony Davis can play at the level at that point he was playing at, I, I didn't see a way that the Lakers wouldn't be a threat to win at all, and all he's done is continue to play well. He did, uh, as many of you might recall, he did leave that game five uh, in Denver uh, on a wheelchair and was getting roasted by the TNT crew after the game because, well, if you got a head injury, why are you leaving on a, on a, in a wheelchair? <laughs> Whatever. But he, he came back, and he played really, really well. And he, him going up against a guy like Nikola Jokic, that, that back and forth right there can be very, very interesting to see how it all plays out. A little battle of the brains versus bronze is yeah. what it's sounding like. I, I like that. No, that, that should be a very interesting battle uh, to see kind of what what wins out, what plays out. Um, you know, it, is it more of the brainy guy, the cerebral guy, or is it the guy that has all the athletic, physical ability in the world? Well, yeah, and so on the East real quick, uh, we did see the Miami Heat uh, make the make the Eastern Conference Finals. They went as an eight seed, knocking out the New York Knicks. Uh, Michelle, Jimmy Butler, and I just, I can't help but just have mad respect for this guy. All he does is win, it feels like. Now, okay, you're going to have to read it because Jimmy Butler is a very familiar name. Was he ever with the Jazz at one point? So he has a connection to the state of Utah. He's never played for the Jazz. But uh, do you remember the name Jordan Leslie, a wide receiver for BYU? Yes. So Jordan, I actually know Jordan. <laughs> okay, so, so Jordan's family. So uh, Jimmy Butler, has got he's got a really, really interesting background. When he was, I think, 14 or 15, his mom kicked him out of his house. Like, okay. Kicked him out. And he was sleeping on friends' couches and whatnot, all while playing basketball and trying to just kind of make his way. He grew up in Texas. Well, Jordan Leslie's family actually took him in. So he considers Jordan to be like a surrogate brother of his. Uh, the Leslie family is very connected with Jimmy Butler. There's actually a famous photo that uh, was circulating at one point. This is, goes back to, I think, Jimmy's days early on in the NBA. He was actually was just standing in a food court at, I think, it, was, it wasn't Crosswoods Mall. It was um, Fashion Place Mall, if I recall correctly. And he's just standing in line at a, at a, a food court in Fashion Place Mall. People are like, what's Jimmy Butler doing in Utah? It's because he had that connection to Jordan Leslie, who was at BYU at the time. Huh. I didn't know. I had no idea. I did not know that. Um I so obviously I know Jordan yeah. because he was with the Stallions. Sure. And yes. and he actually was one of the guys that I talked to a little bit more than some of the others. We uh-huh. we'd throw some zingers at each other. <laughs> okay. um, but I really like Jordan. Uh that's that's incredible though. I had no idea that there was that connection, but that would explain why that name just seems so familiar to me. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing about this is the Heat, uh, they continue to get it done. Uh, we do have the two best words in sports coming up tonight at Game 7. Uh, you've got the Philadelphia 76ers and Joel Embiid trying to knock out Jason Tatum and the Boston Celtics. Uh, I am interested to see where this one goes because this has kind of been a slugfest series going back and forth. The Game 7 is in Boston, Michelle. Uh, do you think that Philadelphia can get over the hump here and knock out Boston? I, I, to be honest, I don't know enough about either team, but I do have to say, like, Boston being at home, it feels like, and they were actually really close last year, if Correct. I'm remembering everything they correctly. Yep, they, they lost to the Golden State Warriors. Um, Yeah, so I don't know. I almost feel like I'd have to give the edge to Boston, but crazy, crazier things have happened, but <laughs> yeah. I, I, I just think it feels like the momentum's probably going to be more on Boston's side than Philly's. See, and I, I, I kind of skew your the way you, you're thinking about this as well. There's just some part of me, because Joel Embiid is the NBA MVP this year. He's been really, really good. But the thing about this, we all know this. In the NBA playoffs, kind of when your legacy is crafted and the narrative around you, a guy like Joel Embiid, he is w- fully aware of legacy and that type of stuff, and he wants to establish his own. I just, I've got this like kind of nagging thought in the back of my head. Can Philadelphia pull this off? The biggest thing I think for Philadelphia to get it done, James Harden. You got to have the beard come alive. And I know Corey. I, I don't know how what your feelings on James Harden are as a Thunder fan, but uh, I'll let you weigh in on this as well. Where do you think this is going? I can't wait to see James Harden lose tonight. I absolutely <laughs> hate watching his game. I wasn't even a huge James Harden fan when he was with the Thunder. Okay, but just the way he always tries to just draw every foul and he swing does. his arms. I I really hate his game. 
and I know that he's good, and I know that it's effective. It's just not entertaining basketball for me to watch. So I'm rooting like hell for the Celtics tonight. I really hope they win. I love Joel Embiid, and I'd like to see him succeed. But unless the beard is not on his team, I can't root for Joel Embiid. I'm, I'm all for the Celtics tonight. All right. Well, Corey is coming with all the petty today, and I'm so here for it. But, but here, here's the thing. I, I, Corey, I don't think he said anything that a Utah Jazz fan doesn't completely agree with because, trust me, Jazz fans have just absolutely loved to hate on a guy like James Harden because yeah. you're right. The way he plays the game, in a way, it just feels like he's taking advantage of the rules versus playing more versus in the spirit of the game. It's effective, but it's not fun basketball. Yes. It's not fun to watch. I don't enjoy watching James Harden's teams play at all. Yeah, no doubt about that. All right. Uh, we will come back on the other side. We'll round out hour one of the program here uh, with technical fouls. Coming up in the 11 o'clock hour, a little bit of a tease for you guys. We're going to pl- uh, replay part of the conversation that Hans Olsen and Scotty G had with Governor Spencer Cox earlier this week. Some great stuff on uh, Major League Baseball potentially coming to Utah, as well as the Winter Olympic Games making a return to Salt Lake City in Utah as well. That's all coming up right here on 97.5 FM, the KSL Sports Zone. If you're coming from the street with dirty shoes on your feet, that's a technical foul. If you switch the radio to some modern music show, that's a technical foul. If you touch the thermostat, you'll get hit with a bat. Cause that's a technical foul. You will feel my wrath. That's a technical foul. Personal foul, 69, offense. He was giving them the business. A technical foul. Welcome back to the Saturday show here on 97.5 FM DKSL Sports Zone. As you heard, it is time now for technical fouls. And Michelle, I'm going to have you go first this week. What you got for us? Okay. So this one's funny and fun, uh, but okay. technical foul to the people of Nashville. <laughs> like, um, oh, the, no. the, yeah, the NFL revealed their, their schedules. Uh, for the upcoming 2023 season and the Tennessee Titans social media crew went out on the street to ask uh, random, random fans in Nashville, uh-huh. uh, you know, who who the, the Titans are going to be playing. And they came up with a lot of creative names uh, for for the other 31 teams in the NFL. And uh, I just I find it highly entertaining from the standpoint of you recognize the Tennessee Titans, but but oh. you, you fail to recognize anybody else. I don't okay. know. I don't know how staged this was, but it was really funny. It made me laugh. Well, okay, see, here's the thing about this is I watched this video, and the NFL schedule came out on Thursday, and teams were doing their announcements. Uh, I don't know if you guys saw the, the anime-inspired uh, one from the second straight year, the Los Angeles Chargers. It was absolutely hilarious. Had a really nice barb directed at Zach Wilson in the middle of it. If you did not see that, I absolutely like laughed out loud on that part. But the, you were talking about the Tennessee Titan, Titans one here, Michelle. Uh, the best one in the bunch for me was some lady showing a picture of the Atlanta Falcons. I know. And out of her mouth comes the Red Stallions? Yeah, I don't know how that bird ended up looking like a horse, but okay. And did you see the Falcons change their Twitter name to they the Red did. Stallions? I did, I did, I did. I did. <laughs> Red um, Stallions. <laughs> uh, you know what? Good on the Atlanta Falcons for playing along with that. I love that. Um uh, it's going to be interesting to see how long they keep that. <laughs> I would keep it for a while, honestly. It was absolutely hilarious. You're right. You're like, I don't know how people can be this, like, I don't know, dumb in a way with, with regards to NFL franchise like logos. But apparently, there are people out there who don't pay attention to sports, Michelle. Well, like, like I said, like the crazy thing to me is they all seem to know who the Tennessee Titans were. Sure, yeah. But like, how I, I just feel like if you know who the Tennessee Titans are, then you probably know at least who a few of these other teams are maybe not all of them per se but uh, at the number of times the indianapolis colts were called the cowboys too i was like wait and i think my favorite was the lady that was like eagles 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 and they were like he goes from and you're like okay so she got it it is the eagles and she goes from pittsburgh and then they show the logo and it's not even the eagles it's the seahawks yeah Yeah. i mean i thought the titans was the best oh my gosh Oh, so funny. So funny. Awesome. I enjoyed it. 
Yeah, well done. But, yeah, technical foul on all those fans <laughs> that are now looking like idiots on, on the Internet. All right, Corey, what you got for us this week, sir? Uh, my tech goes on Draymond Green last night. Um, he's good at getting technical fouls in general. But mm-hmm. after the game is over, your season's eliminated. You're, or you're, you're no longer the defending champs. Somebody else is going to win the title. And he's just hugging LeBron for an extended period of time with a big smile on his face. You've got Clay and Steph over there. They're a little ticked off. They're not happy about the season ending, and Draymond's just embracing LeBron with a big smile on his face. I'm not down with that. Go over, give a handshake. That's fine. But to be in that good of spirits after your season just ended, nah, I'm not I'm not down with that. That's a technical foul on Draymond. Yeah, it seems that way. It was kind of kind of a strange thing to see what happened. Um, I got one real quick. I don't know how many how many people are necessarily paying attention to this, but Erling Holland, a place for Manchester City over in England, mm-hmm. uh, he is just absolutely incredible. He is like the next superstar in soccer. Let's just put it that way. He he broke the single season record in the Premier League for goals in a season. Uh, and thing about this is he uh, they were playing in the Champions League semifinal against Manchester City. But this goes to his dad, Alf Inga, who's actually a former uh, Premier League player in his own right. Played for Man City, if I recall correctly. Uh, he was escorted out of a corporate box at the Bernabeu, which is the home uh, uh, stadium for Real Madrid. Apparently was just making all kinds of uh, just inappropriate comments to uh, Real Madrid fans and whatnot. And appeared to make an obscene gesture as the chance continued his direction from the fans in retort to him. Uh, here's the thing. If you're going to watch your son and whatnot, don't be a distraction. Like, come on now. Maybe Jamie Tart's dad on Ted Lasso was based on <laughs> yes. Erling Holland's dad. Yeah. <laughs> That's a funny well, thought. That's a very good thought. But here's the thing. Alf Inga, he, this guy played at a high level. He is a former professional soccer player in his own right. Like, you would think he'd have a little more decorum or class, but apparently not. Yeah, professional athletes a lot of times feel like the rules don't apply to them. So he might have learned that lesson throughout his whole life where he feels like he can get away with whatever he wants to do because of who he was. Yeah, some yeah. Some, fan, some people claimed he was throwing peanuts at them. Like, come on, dude. Like, let, let's not do this. <laughs> I, I hope that's not true. I hope that's maybe a little hyperbole Utah fans threw beer on my family, yeah. you know, whatever. But at the same time, like, who knows? It sounds like uh, the, there's been a little bit of a history of bad behavior there. Yeah, well, his, I believe his dad, I think Alfie Inga is actually uh, Erling's uh, agent as well as being his father. So Eesh. crazy, crazy scenes all the same. But, yeah, technical foul on Alfie Inga Holland. You just can't do that. Like, just come on now. Let's, 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 let's behave a little better. All right. Uh, coming up next, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about uh, the ongoing uh, baseball and Olympics uh, hopes for the Salt Lake City area. Uh, great conversation earlier this week on Hands in the Scotty with uh, Governor Spencer Cox in the state of Utah, obviously. He had a lot to say about this. What is kind of the next step or steps for both of these things to happen? We'll hear that next right here on the Saturday Show. Two years ago, Americans watched in horror as a crisis unfolded at the Kabul airport. She was tear-gassed and beaten. Images of thousands desperate to escape Taliban oppression filled our news feeds. More than 80,000 Afghans made it to America. But the story didn't end there. It was very cold. There was no power, no heat. Who would help our newest neighbors? I'm Andrea Smartin. In Stranger Becomes Neighbor, you'll hear the stories of some remarkable refugees who left their homes and their dreams behind, only to start over from zero. Their only possession was three blankets. And you'll meet Americans who stepped up to help them. You want me to come when you deliver your baby. What can one person do in the face of an international disaster decades in the making? That's Stranger Becomes Neighbor. Find us at kslpodcast.com, follow us on Apple Podcasts, or anywhere else you listen.